Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for your gospel. Thanking you, Lord, for your life and your death and your resurrection. Thanking you that that you have bought us, have redeemed us, have given us life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we come this morning to think about that through these elements of this supper. Lord, we come this morning to think about what we ought to think about when we come to this table. So help us, Lord, be diligent to think what you would have us think. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want you to think about that phrase, that first phrase. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We talked about that some last week about what might cause Paul to be tempted, to be ashamed of the gospel, what might cause you and I in our day and time to be somewhat ashamed of the gospel, that, that the cultural ideas and the cultural ideals are far different from what the gospel message is and what the message of the cross is. And, and we find ourselves in a world that is absolutely in conflict with what we say as believers that we believe. We, we proclaim a lifestyle and a worldview and a, and a gospel message that is contrary to everything in the world around you. I mean, there is absolutely nothing outside of the church itself, outside of Christianity itself, that in any way reflects the values and the truths that we say that we hold tenaciously to and hold to for the, for the glory of God and for the good of our souls. And, and so when Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, we want to come to that point. In 2017, we want to be able to say boldly and, and thoroughly in our life that we are not ashamed. I, as a believer, am not ashamed. We, as a church, are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is that gospel that he, he delineated in those first uh, seven verses or so when he talked about it, it's the, the gospel of God about Christ according to the Scriptures for the nations under the obedience of faith and for God's glory. We are not ashamed of that, and it is, we see it as our mission and as our message and as our purpose to, to share that with others because we are debtors to them on the basis of the fact that God has given us something to give to them, and so we're debtors to them. And we are to be about fulfilling the payment, if you will, of that debt to the world that needs Christ. And I don't care whether it's in Quebec City where less than 2% of the people profess Christ, where over 98% of the people follow after their own lusts, their own desires, they see themselves as their own God, the own, their own master of their destiny, or whether it's in Somerset, Kentucky, where probably about 75 to 80% say, oh, we're, we're Christians because we one time or another walked an aisle or one time or another joined a church or one time or another prayed a prayer, one time or another were baptized, however you want to, put it down, but there's been no real change, gospel change in their life. It's just as pagan here in many cases as it is in Quebec City because the gospel, the gospel is an offense. to so, The true gospel message is an offense to so many. So Paul says, I don't want it to be an offense to me. I, I don't want to be ashamed of it. Christ did a work in my life on the Damascus Road and beyond that has changed me radically, Paul says. And if you're here this morning 
and you are in Christ, then God has done a work in your life through Christ that has changed you radically. And you must say with the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for that gospel is the power of God for salvation. That gospel is the the power, the strength, the, the change agent of God for salvation to all who believe. To all who believe. No matter what their ethnicity, no matter what their social status, no matter what their uh, status in, in orientations, no matter what their status, however, the gospel is the power of God to change people's lives out of sin and into truth, out of darkness and into light, out of death and into life. That's what the, that's what the gospel is. So, so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it, and he's challenging you and I to be able to say with him, I too am not ashamed of the gospel. As most of you are here this morning know, right directly under this pulpit is an open Bible in a steel case uh, buried in the foundation of this building, open and highlighted to those two verses. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And a thousand years from now, if they dig this place up and an archaeological dig says, what in the world was here? They're going to open that box and they're going to know that whoever was here in 2017 was not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. For all who believe. But see, I want, I don't, I don't want an archaeologist a thousand years from now, if the Lord tarries, to, uh, to come back and say, oh, that's who they were. But I so want the world around us, Somerset and, and Pulaski County and beyond, to be able to say, no, there is a church who is, who is today not ashamed of the gospel, who is today seeing it as the power of God for salvation to all who believe, who is today proclaiming his death his burial, and his resurrection as the only way for a relationship with the true and the living God who does exist. Wow. I want it to be, a, I want, I want it to be a, something that is in our nature, that is in our, as, as a lot of church growth people like to talk about today, church planning people, that's in our DNA as a church that we're not ashamed of the gospel. That it is God's power, and we will proclaim it. That's what this table is all about, folks. It, it really is. When we observe this once a month, on the third Sunday, uh, Lord willing, of every month, we come to this table, we take bread, we take juice, the fruit of the vine, and we say, these are elements that are symbols. These are elements that demonstrate something that is a reality in the life of every believer. These elements are not just, just to be looked upon as a little piece of baked bread and a little bit of of grape juice as we as Baptists have to do. You know, it's, it's that we say this is an element that portrays something that is in reality the real deal. It points us to that cross. It points us to what Christ did on that cross. And when he established that with his disciples on that particular night, he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to think about what's about to happen. And after it happens, I want you to think back through this meal on what has happened until I come again. I want you to be doing this. It's the only ordinance that Jesus established to be done regularly by the church. Now, yes, baptism is an ordinance. And he said, go and baptize in my name, teaching them to uh, teaching them." To observe all that I have taught you to, to, to prepare them. And that is, a, that is an a, a, a initiatory uh, a ordinance, if you will, or a rite. 
But the only one that he said clearly, you are to do this on a regular basis until I come again, is the Lord's Supper. So it ought not ever become common. It ought not ever become something that we just do because it's the third Sunday in in the month and it's the time we do it. It ought to be something that we see and we think about very clearly. So I want to think about what we ought to think about this morning when we come to this table. I think there are about six things we ought to think about. First of all, we ought to think about the supper as being the center and the symbol of Christian unity. We ought to see it as the symbol and the center of Christian unity. Now, I realize there's been a lot of division over the Lord's Supper. As a matter of fact, D.A. Carson, the New Testament scholar out of Chicago, says that that there have been no more controversial words in all of church history than those four little words, this is my body, this is my blood. That's been debated, that's been argued about, and that's been dealt with, but but it really is to be a, a symbol of unity and central to the unity of the church. As a matter of fact, the Lord's Supper is not something that's to be done apart from the local church. The the Lord's Supper is not something that is to be done in in order just to eat some bread and drink some juice. So it's not something we say, why don't you at your home, in your devotionals at home, why don't you observe the Lord's Supper together? You never heard us recommend that as a part of your discipline. We've never recommended that as a part of your family worship. No, no, it is a church ordinance. Sometimes people ask me to do the Lord's Supper with a bride and groom in a wedding ceremony, and and I graciously say I can't do that because it's not a private ceremony between a man and a woman and a pastor that just you do it. It's a church ordinance. It's for the worship of the church. And, And so we come together and we see this as a symbol. I will tell you in just a few moments, and I'll even use that as point number five in a minute, that it's a personal thing that you are to personally examine yourself, but you're never to do it alone. It's always a unifying and a unity factor within the body of Christ. I was reading Dr. J.I. Packer on this a a few days ago and and just some things he was saying about the Lord's Supper. He said, I've gone to churches before where there were very few people in a very large auditorium. And they were observing the Lord's Supper or communion that day. And and Packer said, when that happens, I go into that church and I deliberately, although there are plenty of seats anywhere and everywhere, I find some people to sit next to. Because I want to see the horizontal as well as the vertical in the Lord's Supper. I want to see it as a thing we do together as the body of Christ. It is the center and the symbol of Christian unity. Secondly, it's a time to remember Christ's sacrifice. It's a time to remember the cross. It's a time to remember that that sacrifice was in your place. That sacrifice was for your salvation to all who believe. And so we're to to remember that sacrifice. We're to think about that sacrifice. That's what we think about when we're holding that bread and holding that cup. We're to think about what God has done to redeem us for himself. That's the gospel. So you think on the gospel, you think on the sacrifice. You know, the scripture is very clear that the Lord's Supper is only to be taken by believers. And you hear me every time we take it, and I'll say it now, I won't say it later, that that if you're here and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, then I invite you to this table because it's the Lord's Supper, not Grace Baptist Supper, not the Baptist Supper, not 
not, not the whatever. It, it's the Lord's Supper. It's for everyone who is in Christ. But if you're not a believer in Christ, I ask you to let the elements pass by. Now, now why, would, why would the New Testament encourage that? And why would I encourage that every time we come to this table? Well, Paul says it's because it, it is an important matter that ought not be neglected. That every believer ought to take it and every unbeliever ought not. It would be kind of silly because this emphasizes the union with Christ. It would be kind of silly for an unbeliever to take it and say, okay, I'll eat Christ's body, the symbol of Christ's body, and I'll drink the symbol of Christ's blood when, when you do not recognize that in your own life as something you have trusted in, believed in, and are now in. Now, I do invite you, if you're not a believer, to think about it. To think about that body that was given on the cross and that blood that was shed for salvation of men and women throughout the ages. And I do encourage you to think about what Christ has done and pray that God would open your heart to see your need for a Savior and open your eyes to see that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and open your heart to believe that He is who He said He was and put your trust in Him and him alone. We remember Christ's sacrifice, and we think about that when we hold it in our hands. But thirdly, we also proclaim that sacrifice. We not only remember the gospel, but we proclaim the gospel to everyone around, believer and unbeliever alike. There is the proclamation, this is my body, this is my blood that was given on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago where he hung in our place, where he was our substitute and can be your substitute too if you believe, if you trust, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we remember his sacrifice, but we also proclaim his sacrifice. Another thing about this ordinance is it's a temporary ordinance. It's not for eternity. Now, this will give way to the great marriage feast of the Lamb. This will give way to a great feasting in the presence of Christ in all of eternity. This is temporary. Matter of fact, Jesus said, I want you to do this and do it in remembrance of me until I come again. When he comes again, this ordinance will no longer be celebrated. When he comes again, we won't gather for the Lord's Supper ever, ever again. It's a temporary ordinance, but it's to remember and to proclaim it's to focus on his sacrifice. Fifthly, this gospel message that's proclaimed through this meal that we are not to be ashamed of is the opportunity for real moral and spiritual self-examination. Paul said when you come to this table, examine yourselves, be sure you're of the faith. Paul said when you come to this table, examine yourselves, Ask the Lord, what is there in my life right now that, that is, is, is not pleasing to you? Lord, show me that. As David said in the Psalms, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. It's, it's to be a time of self-examination time of saying, Lord, am I being obedient? Am I living out what Paul said the gospel is for, for the obedience of faith? Am I trusting you in the hardest times as well as the good times? Am I looking to you and desiring to obey you above everything else? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
You know, some of the early church was tempted to be ashamed of the gospel because of this table. Some of the early, early members of the church, when they met in, in opposition to the government, when they were really an outlawed religion and they were told, uh, they were pursued and they were hunted down, they, they were accused of being cannibals because they talked about eating body and drinking blood and, and some of them were tempted to be ashamed of the gospel because of this meal, because of this table. I'll tell you this morning, this is the proclamation, this is the remembrance, the remembrance, this is what he has done. And it ought to be a time of, of celebration, it ought to be a time of examination, it ought to be a time of saying, Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me fresh and cleanse me anew because of the blood of Christ. And finally, this is a dangerous observance. Why is it dangerous? Because it's to be observed solemnly and seriously. Paul said to the Corinthian church, some of you are taking of this meal unrighteously. You're living in sin. You're disobedient to God. And yet you come and you act like everything's okay when you come to this observance. And because of that, some of you are sick. Some of you, some, some among you are asleep. Doesn't mean they're taking a nap. It means they're dead. It's, it's a dangerous observance, biblically speaking. Because we come to this table with an acknowledgement that this represents the, the death of Christ for our sin. And we come saying that we are in Christ and and by taking this somehow spiritually and, and meaningfully, we acknowledge that in this, he is in us and we are in him. There's that union with Christ that is, is the heart of the gospel. So it's a solemn, serious, but dangerous observance. If we observe it casually, if we observe it unworthily, if we observe it in a way that flies in the face of the truth of God's Word. This table is an invitation. It's an invitation to each one here this morning who is not a believer in Christ, who's never trusted Him. It's an invitation to say to you, this is my body, this is my blood. It was shed and it was hung on a cross. It was laid in a grave. came forth three days later for your salvation and for your life. For you to be able to die to self and live unto Christ. So Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or, or he could say, you know, I, the life I now live in the flesh, I live for the glory of Christ. That's what happens when conversion comes. That's what happens when real, what C.S. Lewis called real mere Christianity takes place. It changes us. So we come to this table humbly. We come to this table thankfully. We come to this table prayerfully. 
come to this table rejoicing and celebrating the glory of Christ in the gospel. Will you come to this table with me this morning? Will you share in this holy meal of just one wafer and one cup with me this morning? And will you do it for the glory of Christ? Let's pray together. Your heads bowed and eyes closed as we pray, as we prepare. I ask you to examine yourself, even as the scripture says. I ask you to ask the Lord to show you what is there in my life that is displeasing to you. And I ask you to ask the Lord to remind you and give you a heart to proclaim it until he comes. You continue to pray as we prepare to pass these elements among you. I remind you that when you get the elements, hold them in your hand until we all have them together and we can share together in this meal. Scripture tells us in the Gospels that on that night before he was crucified, he, he took the bread and he took the cup and he blessed them. He passed it among his disciples. And they ate together. It also tells us that on that night they sang together. Picture Jesus singing a hymn of faith as an example to us. Father, we ask you to bless these elements, this bread and this fruit of the vine that symbolizes your body and your blood. Father, I ask you to think, help us think about what is right to think about in this meal. Help us think rightly about it as we eat it together. Lord, pray in Jesus' name. took bread and after blessing it he broke it and gave it to them and said this is my body take it and he took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them again and they drank all of it 
And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Going a little further, he fell on on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. He came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand.
And he said, this is my body which is given for you as a sacrifice and as a substitute that you may be able to live what we've talked about all year, Coram Deo, knowing him in union with him in his presence for his glory. He said, take it and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the blood of the covenant. The covenant that is the new covenant. That, that makes it a way for us to know God intimately through the mediator, through his son, Jesus Christ. He said, this blood of the new covenant is for you who believe. Drink it. And do this in remembrance of me. And the scripture says that after that, as I read, they sang a hymn and they went out. We're going to sing a hymn that is a hymn of commitment, a hymn of invitation, an invitation to Christ. Uh, just as this meal demonstrates. We sing it together and invite you to just ask God to show you your need in Him, believer or unbeliever alike, that He would draw you to Himself. As our instrumentalists come and prepare, let's pray together. Father, we commit this day to You for Your glory. Speak to us now, Lord, we pray. Use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.